Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The proclamation which you have just heard read by the Governor-General's official secretary was countersigned Malcolm Fraser. <laughs> who will undoubtedly go down in Australian history from Remembrance Day 1975 as Kerr's Australia's 21st Prime Minister, Gough Whitlam, holds an uncomfortable record in Australian political history. He's the only Prime Minister to have ever been sacked by the Queen. Yet, in spite of this unwanted achievement, he's very much still revered by a significant portion of the Australian public. Some even have him down as Australia's greatest ever Prime Minister. My name's Cam, otherwise known as Mr Mitchell History on YouTube. I'm a history teacher by trade, and on this podcast, I'm joined by two of my mates as we spend two episodes looking at the regime of Gough Whitlam. Today's all on Whitlam's policies, and indeed scandals, and next week we look at the role of the CIA and the Crown in his dismissal and dive head on into the conspiracy. As a quick side note, I was a bit of an idiot and kept speaking away from my mic. PY and Ben's audio have no issues at all, but sometimes I can get a bit echoey. Also, somehow Dave Batista from WWE also ends up getting a fair amount of airtime on this one. Well, may we say, God save the Queen. Because nothing will save the Governor-General. I'm not a huge 2SSR connoisseur. No. But, yeah, on his social media, it's filled with, like, it was filled with United Australia Party stuff. Mm. I um, think, like, uh, the local the locality of Scott Morrison did help in getting that interview. Well, there you go. <laughs> PY from the podcast has been on the same podcast that Scott Morrison is featured on. Mm-hmm. I am Cam, otherwise known as Mr. Mitchell History on the YouTubes. I have with me PY, who mentioned before. PY, Hi, Cam. history podcast, first time being on history podcast. It is. Do you have much of a background? Yeah, I, I studied history in school, as everyone else does. Year 11 and 12, I did modern history. And... 
I did okay. Not not fantastic. Probably like low band five if we had to put a number on it. <laughs> For our global <laughs> global listeners, yeah. have no idea what that is. It's kind of what eighty odd. Okay, so how'd you get to eighty odd? <laughs> I did. I used Ben notes. Oh, so who's Ben? Here's our other co-host. Hello, hello. It is I. I am I am Ben. Do you have much of a history background? Well, yes. Like like Jake, I also did modern history. I'm glad to know that my notes were were put to great use, not just by myself, but by by my peers. Thank you yeah. again. <laughs> so, I wasn't. I'm a little bit older than these guys. I didn't study with them. Basically, with this podcast, we're hoping to walk you through different topics in history. So, I'm a history teacher by trade. But with me are just two people who studied history at school, much like I'm guessing you did if you're listening to this podcast. And they actually don't know all that much about the Mm. topics that we're covering. And so we're hoping Mm. that with this podcast, we can actually fill you in and break down from what's complex into simple terms, different events and phenomena in history. And today we actually begin with Australia's 21st Prime Minister, Gough Whitlam. Mm. I'm going to throw it over you. Did you learn anything about Gough Whitlam at school? Oh, no. No, I... My sort of remembrance of the Australian history that we looked at is is already quite... I feel like I'm throwing it back to year three to really try and remember what we heard. Firstly, <laughs> so, Matthew Flinders, The, the complexity, yeah. complexities of uh, 20th, century, 20th century political landscape in Australia was very much not touched on a whole lot in our... Yeah, not that I can recall. Um, the only modern kind of Australian politics that I could remember is my teacher kind of just disagreeing with Kevin Rudd and mm. him stating that he only got the top job because of his relations in China, but he actually wasn't that capable of Ooh. prime minister. His words, not mine. And a, a common sentiment in this real blue ribbon electorate of ours. That we, are, <laughs> we are recording from. Yes, we are recording in a seat that I don't think has gone Labor since the 1970s. So speaking of yeah. Labor in the 1970s, do you know mm. anything about Gough Whitlam? Gough Whitlam, I believe, was taken out of office quite controversially. Uh, was the CIA involved Ooh. and was also a part of the Labour Party. Yes. That is, that is I would say, my recollection of Gough Whitlam. Mm. Yes, I I feel like I know of him as a, as a polarising figure. I feel some people very much adore him and, and some really quite despise him. And, and yes, I've definitely heard about the uh, CIA conspiracy. Is it is it true, I guess? Was Who the Queen knows? involved as well? Well, wow. wouldn't that be special? Stick around for part two. We're going to be. T- I didn't catch that Crown episode. Oh yeah, let's skip right over it. Martin Charteris. So he's the guy that's kind of considered. Again, this is more covering part two territory. Mm. Martin Charteris. They skip right over Gough Whitlam. They jump straight to Bob Hawke. So mm. we're actually going to go back in time. And we're going to cover a fair bit of Gough Whitlam's life. Now we're going to start. We have to go back in time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we are not going worldwide today. We're going to stick in Australia. Gough Whitlam. Anyone, you guys want to have a guess? Where did he set up shop to live? Canberra. Eventually, yeah. But before okay. that. <laughs> as, as sort of implied. By- <laughs> well, they live in Sydney, though, as well. I, I, I guess they're living in Sydney. Yeah, Kimberley House. Uh, yeah. True, true. I stand I stand corrected. Mm. Is, he a, is he a New South Welshman? He's I, a New South Welshman. Okay. Um, uh, Croydon. You would think. Very good guess. He studied near there. It's not okay. where he actually lived. University of Sydney. He is a University of Sydney alumni. Wow, as, oh. as am I. Um, <laughs> wow, what joy. Get that in there. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's Australia's Harvard for our global listeners. Mm. Um, I appreciate that. <laughs> P.Y., do you have a guess where he's set up? Somewhere in Sydney. Yeah, Sydney, yeah. A lot, um, lot, lot of suburbs in Sydney. Cars Park. 
Wow, outstanding. outstanding. No, but I lost this out. Godfield actually set up in Cronulla. So wow. uh, we don't give a torch away where the bunker is, but given that we said yeah. we're a blue ribbon seat and we <laughs> said Cronulla with some enthusiasm, you can probably put two and two together. Gough Whitlam, so basically, right, after World War II, he needed to find somewhere to settle. At this point in history, Cronulla was actually a working class part of Sydney because mm-hmm. it was far away from the CBD. Yeah. You go to Cronulla today, far from it, mm. but it was working class at the time. And so the thinking behind it was, well, I want to get into politics. Like I said before, he's a University of Sydney alumni. Uh, he did do his uh, law reviews. He was... Wow. Yeah. Wow, he's really amongst it. Did you ever go to one? No, I... I, I do regret. I've heard great things. Um, and a, a close friend of ours was very heavily involved. But uh, alas. I'm going to have to respectfully disagree with you there. I, yeah, you have I, I, I really don't like law reviews. Have you been? Well, I went on, so I was at UNSW. That's our Yale for uh, global <laughs> listeners. Um, and mm. as I was walking up to one of my classes, I get this person that comes up to me. And this was right when Trump <laughs> was elected. And you know, all the like snarky mm. Stephen Colbert and all of the types were making the same joke over and over. And they come up to me, it's like, do you want to go to, instead of Lady in the Tramp, Lady in the Trump. Oh, clever. And I was like, man, stay clear with the temple pole. That is like, <laughs> it's basically like Charlie Pickering, the musical. Like, it's not where I want to end up. Um, you look like you're something. I feel like there is like a slight chance that my grandfather knew Gough Whitlam. Like, obviously definitely knew him. So but you, perhaps... for this is in, who's your grandfather? Is he, your, is oh, he the one with the just... Labour Party roots? Yeah, like he was just involved in the Labor Party. And I, I don't, I could only go from word of mouth, but my mum telling me that like, oh, in the 70s when Labor actually won a seat here in Cook, our electorate, that like oh, she so went... The bunker's been revealed. Yeah, well, <laughs> Turned in a sin around of business. Anyway, um, <laughs> that like she went to like a party with like grandfather because he was kind of very involved in that party. But I'm sure a lot of people would also have been involved in terms of or, just one of the people that are handing out pamphlets when you go yeah, to vote. Yeah, probably would have met. So Gough Whitlam, when he originally ran in politics, he didn't run in federal parliament. He ran in local government. Mm. Here's this for a fun fact. Gough Whitlam failed to get into office when he ran for local parliament wow. in or local council mm. in the Sutherland Shire. And he goes on to become 21st Prime, Prime Minister so. of Australia. Hope for us oh, all. Oh, goodness. Yeah. yeah. Carmelo, yeah. Carmelo Pesk or whoever owns Bianchini's Coffee, which is our, <laughs> our, I guess, for lack of a better word, our mayor of the Southern Shire. Big things are waiting for you. So, Gough Whitlam is a Sydney law guy and he tries to run for the Southern Shire Council. He doesn't get in. Eventually, he's a very talented guy. Like, you can listen to any of his speeches. Incredibly witty, great on the spot, works the cameras and works the news reporters really well. Eventually, he works his way up to within the Labor Party machine and he gets uh, to have federal office. Now, do you know much about the Labor left, Labor right split? I hear different things, but but don't understand a whole lot. Anthony Albanese, what would you guess? Labor left or Labor right? Left. Uh, yes. Glad I helped Kevin Rudd. <laughs> Kevin Rudd. Right. Wow, he's a... It's a 50-50. Yeah. <laughs> um, basically, if we go back to the 50s, the Liberal Party and the Labor Party were going at it, as is the case today. Now, 50s is Cold War era. And so basically, the Liberal Party has branded themselves as the party that stands up to communism. And basically, because Labor Party has a trade union history and it's primarily made up of, of trade unionists, and probably because it had the colour red... Mm. Liberal Party's gone mm. two and two. Labor's 
like loves communism. They're very sympathetic to the commies. And so basically, right, within the party, there was a split. So Herbert Evert was the Labour leader at the time. He was in opposition. Dr. Herbert Evert, I should uh, yeah, put some his, respect on the name, please. Thank you. Do credit. He, what he does is he basically reaches out to the Soviet foreign minister to be like, hey, here's how we're not in cahoots. Now, he goes to Parliament. He said, hey, I've had contact with the Soviet foreign minister. Big political mistake. Because mm. the Liberal Party, basically, led by Robert Menzies at the time, are like, you are talking to the Soviet foreign minister. Like, that is treachery. What on earth are you yeah, doing? A, it was tossed up a real full toss there it, for him to hit it, for six. Exactly. So Herbert Evert gets pegged with the communists. In the Labour Party, there's another guy called B.A. Santa Maria. Now... So Santa Maria is uh, Spanish for Saint Mary. Now, mm. in the Labour Party, there's a Santa huge Santa Maria. Santa Maria, yeah. So I, well, <laughs> I had actually I did have a subscriber correct me on my pronunciation. <laughs> um, well done, P.Y. Now, in the Catholic part, in the Labour Party, there's a huge Catholic base, right? So lots of Catholics have traditionally voted Labour because they're Irish and a lot of Irish working class coming out to Australia. So Santa Maria, to be more precise. He basically splits off a lot of the Labour Party to create the Labour Right faction, which kind of is like Labour Party. We like unions. We like standing up for workers' rights, but we like religion and we don't like the Communist Party. And he's very clear about that. So in the 50s, Labour actually splits into Labour Right and Labour Left. Gough Whitlam was a Labour Left guy. Like as he goes on in Parliament, he makes all these big reforms. The issue for that is you can't run a Labour left guy in the 1960s. Mm. Cold War era, Vietnam Wars just started. And at this point, the Labour Party is being led by a guy called Arthur Colwell. So Colwell's leading the Labour Party throughout the 60s. Do you guys know how long the Labour Party was out of office for during Menzies' era? Was Menzies our longest serving Prime Minister? He is our longest serving Prime Minister. So maybe three, maybe three terms? Even more. More. It's like 15 years. Menzies was in for 16. Yeah, that's right. Wow. Mm. Long time. Yeah. So, but it goes even longer than that. Because then after Menzies, you've got Harold Holt. Mm. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) For our global listeners. (laughs) Pay pay our respects. Um, Take a moment to talk about Harold Holt. How often, how many countries can say that their prime minister just went swimming one, one night and... And never returned. That's just... I feel like we don't speak about that I would enough. like to do a Harold Holt episode <laughs> oh, yeah. and discuss perhaps conspiracy theories. Uh, Is he still alive? Apparently apparently, Chinese spy. That's the main theory. That he mm. basically was taken by a Chinese submarine. So he kind of walks underwater and gets picked up by one of yeah. our submarines. We have Harold, Harold Holt from 66 to 67. He goes missing at the end of 67. Then we have a guy called John Gorton. Basically, Gorton doesn't poll very well, so they kick him out and they put in a guy called William McMahon. So by the Billy. time... Billy. yeah, Billy McMahon. Okay. Well, yeah. Where's that come from? That's just... People were called William, oh. usually called Billy. He did go by yeah. Bill. <laughs> and basically, right, at the early, early 1970s, the Liberal Party has lost all of its popularity. Number one, they've kind of pegged themselves to the Vietnam War which becomes really unpopular in the late 60s. It's actually the Liberal Party who pulls Australia out of Vietnam War. So it began under John Gordon. So the Liberal Party's acknowledged, hey, this war's kind of a bit of a mistake and we're actually going to start withdrawing our people. Fast forward to 1972 and Gough Whitlam is now the leader of the Labor Party. And it's not hard to figure out why. He's charismatic, at the time very good looking. Like he actually had a lot of sex appeal for the 1970s. Rooster. It it was was quite a good looking rooster. (laughs) And so Australia is now ready for someone from the Labor left faction to come in. They're actually pretty receptive to his messages. And so he goes in and basically says, we're going to reform the system. 
the government is going to play a much bigger role in dishing out welfare. We're going to make a more equitable society and we're going to implement public services like Medicare. And basically what happens is Whitlam runs on the campaign slogan, it's time. So it's time mm. for change. Liberal Party's been in since 1949. We're now 1972. So what's that? 23 years out of office. And so he comes to power in 1972. And it's at this point that Whitlam starts enacting his regime. Men and women of Australia, the decision we will make for our country on the 2nd of December is a choice between the past and the future. So, 1972, Whitlam starts enacting what the Liberal Party called a socialist regime at the time, probably today what we call social democracy. So, more public spending, but not quite to the extent of a country such as China. Gough Whitlam, okay, begins his, his reform. Now, Gough Whitlam, he does, according to all those in his inner circle, but I'm mainly going here with a guy called John Menadue, he was kind of his chief of staff. That wasn't his official title. I think his official title was something like Secretary to the Prime Minister in the Cabinet. He has been interviewed on Friendly Geordies. Mm. So you might have seen yeah. that a podcast episode where he interviews a guy about Gough Whitlam. That's John Menadue. According to John Menadue, Whitlam did not care at all about polling or popularity or even managing his ministers. All he cared about was the policies that were getting enacted. Now, we listen to that and we're like, oh, that actually sounds like a really desirable leader mm. to only care about the policy. Unfortunately, if you're in office, you need to maintain longevity to see your reforms move oh, through. Yeah. And what happened was a lot of Whitlam's reforms were then taken back in later years. Off the top of your head, you have you guys heard of any of Gough Whitlam's reforms? No. Is, is Gough Whitlam Medicare? Yes. I thought. Oh, mm. I thought Bob Hawke was Medicare. So it gets it gets developed by the Labor Party over ah. time, but it starts with Gough okay. Whitlam. Medicare would have been a guess, yeah. If your parents were in their youth or in their adolescence in the in the seventies, mm -hmm. they might have spoken about free uni tuition. Mm. So yeah. that was yeah. Gough Whitlam the start of that. Well, so it was paid yeah. prior to, it was, it wasn't free up until that point. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. So well, it wasn't as though like uni, uni tuition was, was privately funded, much the same that it is today. Yeah. There was no like no hex for a lot of Australian history. Gough Whitlam comes in and he's like, well, this is dumb. Basically, we want to ensure that we have the best people for the best job. We want our scientists to be the best possible scientists that are out mm. there. And we don't want money to be an obstacle. So we're going to basically fund everyone's uni tuition. Now, in the 70s, it probably worked a bit better than it would today because you don't have all the yuppie degrees that we have today. Like, mm. <laughs> Yeah, I guess because there was also capped uni placements back then. Yeah, well, exactly. Then. Was it Gillard that I think might have or could have been that? Future, that all of, future episode. All of a sudden, mm. yeah, there's there's a whole lot, whole lot, way too many degrees for the government to fund. Yes. And so we actually had an experience once. PY, Ben and I, we were over in England and unfortunately for Ben, Ben's background is statistics, mathematics. <laughs> He's a very good mathematician. Unfortunately, yeah. the English girl we were having tea with heard logistics and unfortunately trashed on Ben's degree <laughs> and said that it was pretty much a waste of time. So yeah. in the 70s, there, yeah. was, there was none of that at all. Every degree was pretty substantive. You'll show her, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I'm saying I have a Bachelor of Arts. Like, I have the yuppiest degree mm. <laughs> of all, and I'm the one who's saying we have... And here you are making a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which you can support on Patreon for just a dollar fifty. <laughs> <laughs> what was the name of the guy who um, was like his his second in his Dwight Schrute to his Michael Scott? Uh, uh, his name was Jim Cairns, and we are going to come on to Jim Cairns a little okay. bit later on today. Mm. But basically what Whitlam does is he Commonwealth funds university 
we have Medicare for the first time. So initially how it started was the Labor Party proposed a 1.35% tax on all Australians, so like an income tax. That didn't get through the Senate. And then later, uh, bases going into their second term, they funded it from other means. So Medicare eventually did get through. Now, there was some Medicare before. So before Whitlam came to power, the Liberal Party basically said, we'll fund for people who have disabilities or some disabilities, we'll fund for people who are unemployed and we'll fund for migrants. But if you have a low income job, you're on your own, get your own private health insurance. And that basically, when it comes to Medicare, there's two big things. Number one, Whitlam was like, well, actually you're the socialists here. You go on about how we fund the poor and we don't care about the wealthy class. You're funding only the poor people when it comes to Medicare. I want to fund everyone. I want to give everyone equal opportunity. So he kind of hits the Liberal Party in a really clever way on that. The second thing is, because remember, Labor Party is all about like workers' rights. It's got a union's background. The way health insurance works, particularly, and still works in America today, is health insurance can make you a slave to your job. You might be so afraid of leaving your job because of your health insurance deal that you don't actually negotiate and barter for better wages. So Whitlam sees this as a huge workers' rights issue as well. And so basically, Medicare is, yes, a health crisis and a health issue, but it's also a, a workers' crisis and a workers' issue that no one can get or not everyone can get uh, the health care that they need. Other big thing he does for workers is he wants to try and boost the wages of workers. Now, in a capitalist society, right, you can't really do that just by kind of clicking your fingers. Mm. So how do you actually get your nation's wages to rise? And Whitlam, what he tried to do was he increased the wages in the public sector. So pretty much everyone that was federal government employees, so you're looking at things like the military and that sort of stuff, he gave them a huge rise in wage. The theory behind it was that if someone is working in a job in Sydney for a private firm, they're looking at these jobs at Canberra that are going for heaps better wages than what their job is and they want to leave. When workers want to leave, that puts them in a position of strength to barter with their employers mm-hmm. and, and wages go up. And so we actually saw wages under Whitlam nearly reach 33% in just Whitlam's time. So a 33% increase. Pretty substantial. Significant. Yes. What the critics of Whitlam will say was that it was during the era of inflation. So the economic conditions were pretty similar to what they are today. Mm. So right now we have a shortage of oil and we have inflation going pretty crazy. So that was the 70s. And so basically what people say is that the wages increased due to inflation rather than actual substantial wage increases. That actually isn't true. And there's two reasons why. Number one, inflation increased by 17% and wages increased by 33%. So wage increases are beating inflation. Mm. Number two, it's the time in Australian history where the workers have had the highest share of Australian wealth. So it's not just that they're getting a wage increase, but everyone's wages are increasing. So it kind of cancels each other out. They have the highest share of wealth in Australia in Australia's history. Wow. Are there wage increases at the moment, broadly? Yes. That has not reached me yet. (laughs) (laughs) But you can help that by subscribing (laughs) on Patreon. (laughs) (laughs) There were also more changes than just the economic stuff. Have you guys done much Indigenous Australian history? Did you just do much of that in high school? Maybe Maybe a term. Yeah. Touched on it in early high school, but very much... Yeah, very much not. It's compulsory. So in Australia, right now, it's compulsory for, for oh, Year 9 and 10 okay. to do one yep. term. I, th- I do recall we might have done like the Marbo and those sorts of those sorts of big, yeah. big moments and the land rights. But. It's often a little bit choose your own adventure from mm. teachers. 
there's an iconic photo. You might have seen it. It's Gough Whitlam pouring sand into the hands of an indigenous man. Mm-hmm. I have not seen the photo. Oh, okay. So basically, <laughs> right, his name is Vincent Lingiari. And 1972, it marks an era in which the Australian government changed its policy for Indigenous Australians. Hmm. Have you seen Rabbit Proof Fence? I've oh, seen yeah. it. There's we, no, no we way you studied it in English as well. Yeah, we... <laughs> There's no way you would have got through an Australian high school without watching that movie in history Ken- or in English. Or... Kenneth Branagh is powerful film. Is he is he the lead in Rabbit Proof Fence? Is that the guy that plays Ron's you. dad in Harry Potter? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> the guy that looks like you and McGregor. You should remember. Do you remember the director of the film? Is it? It's not Baz Luhrmann, is it? Ah, oh, no. I don't know. I, don't I actually know. forget. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, I'm pretty sure it's Ron Weasley's dad that plays the um, head of the Aboriginal Protection Board. Basically, Rabbit Proof Fence, it's set in, if I'm not mistaken, the 30s, and it kind of captures what the assimilation policy is. So assimilation, in its most twisted form, there's an iconic scene in Rabbit Proof Fence where Mr. Neville, who I think is Ron Weasley's dad, I could be very wrong, <laughs> he basically opens up um, a transition screen of an Aboriginal woman to a oh, white yeah. person. And the it's the most bastardised and twisted form mm-hmm. of the policy where he kind of points at effectively breeding out the Indigenous nature mm. of Indigenous people and having them become ethnically white people. Mm. In reality, assimilation, it wasn't so much to do with skin colour. There was an element of it. It was more to do with culture. And so basically the assimilation policy was trying to anglicise Indigenous people. So have them wear white dress, discouraging them from speaking their local dialects, absolutely saying no to any sense of what we would call land rights today. And so in 1972, Gough Whitlam implements a policy called self-determination, i.e. do whatever you want. If you want to live a remote Indigenous lifestyle, go for it. If you want to speak your local dialect, go for it. And so it's a symbolic photo of Gough Whitlam kind of passing sand to Vincent Lingiari, Mm -hmm. but it's also a practical one. There are some limited land rights that are given to Indigenous people in the Northern Territory. The Marbo case is where land rights really get a huge boost, but that doesn't come until much later. One other thing, and this is the, the, arguably the biggest policy change that Whitlam brings in. He gets rid of the national anthem. Wow. Wow. Do you know what our national anthem used to be? God save the queen, now king, rip. Um, <laughs> really? Up until the, yeah. the late... So night. the Ashes was pretty awkward, right? When yeah. Whose national anthem is it? I don't know. Um, so basically, right, they put it to a plebiscite. So, public mm. vote, what do you want to be the national anthem? If you yeah. were to have a say in that, what would you have put on the agenda? Wow. Um, well, I'm straight up, I'm waltzing Matilda all the way for me. Yeah. I love that song so much. There's a version, uh, the game's called Civilization. It's a historical game. Mm. If you've got time, listen to the Waltzing Matilda soundtrack on Civilization. They make it futuristic. It's like a symphony. It's fantastic. It's such a, yeah, such a moving song. I remember, like, I saw a video of soldiers, maybe probably on the Kokoda Trail or something, marching and singing Waltzing Matilda, and that's just, that's goosebump stuff. It, it, it really, it really is. Yeah. Ben? I'm thinking something, something Samantha Jade, maybe. What? Sammy oh, Jade. Oh, Sammy oh, Jade. Yeah, hold up, hold up. Okay. What you've done yeah, that's, to me. That, that's <laughs> so, the one that, that first let me. <laughs> what, what, so yesterday and today, I went to the cricket yesterday and today. Unfortunately, so it was end of day two, Usman Khawaja finishes on 195 not out. Mm. I'm going day three. I'm like, sweet, I'm going to see Usman Khawaja potentially get his maiden double hundred. Day three, entire rain out. So I'm there from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Nothing happens. I arrived this morning, so I'm like, oh, well, I missed Uzi yesterday. I'm going to pay. I'm going to go again and try and see Uzi get it today. First session's a rain, like a washout. 
uh, and then Australia actually declares and Pat Cummins, our captain, denies Kwaja the chance to get his double hundred. If all of that means nothing to you because you have no interest in cricket, this is where it comes full circle. You would think that I've wasted my last two days. The answer is no, because I ran into Samantha Jade wow. at the SCG. <laughs> oh my gosh. And you didn't tell this what? to us immediately. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking about content for the podcast. And we did not script this at all. Gonna, how did Ben know to say, because there there's a multitude of artists that he could have said yes. then and he said Samantha J. The way we're discussing this really makes it sound like we <laughs> I script. promise this is not scripted <laughs> at all. And actually you Tim Matic, Reese wow. Masden. So what did you I, sorry, walk me through that interaction. Did you did you just well, I, see I didn't her? chat to her. Oh, she was shame. she was performing for Jane McGrade. Um oh, okay, and gotcha, so gotcha. We just crossed paths with Samantha Jade, the yeah. SCG. Yeah. I was also thinking what can captures the Australian spirit the best. And I was thinking X Factor 2010 to 2013 era. Mm. It really captures the mediocrity yeah. and tall poppy syndrome of Australians being, don't get too up yourself. Don't get too big. Mm. Don't sleep on Australia's got talent in that, in that time period as well. Tim and Maddox came third. Just, just a screw, Bonnie, someone. Yeah. Cosentino. Cosentino. <laughs> well, anyway, to come full circle, Goff Whitlam. <laughs> that was a good <laughs> five minute side track there. Goff Whitlam proposes changing the national anthem of Australia. And so basically we have a plebiscite. Walsing Matilda is on there. Unfortunately, mm. it was beaten by Advanced Australia f- Affair. Yeah. But I, mean, <laughs> sorry, I was going to say a current affair. <laughs> Advanced Australia Affair. Which would be more Tracy Grimshaw. Yeah, yeah, the real... Prom- when we talk prominent female artists in Australia, <laughs> yeah. Tracy Grimshaw is one that jumps to mind. So Advanced Australia Affair wins. We've changed the national anthem. If you are on the throne in Britain... Mm. Flags are starting to go up here. Gough oh. Willem has removed some of the English heritage. He only does that. He gets rid of the knighthood in Australia. So you might notice that in Australia, yeah. at least in the, in, the, in the modern era, we don't have any sirs. The reason for that... Which is a shame, I think. Well, he we replaced it with the Order of Australia. Okay, yeah, that's good. So oh, okay. <laughs> I, actually, my wife's grandfather got an Order of Australia earlier this year. What well, did he do? A scientist with oysters. So I think oysters had some pretty huge scientific breakthroughs. Good for him. Well, that is, I don't know. (laughs) So that flag, red flag starting to go up for England right now because you've got an Australian who normally falls right in line with you Hmm. starting to move away from the British ancestry. And that's going to be really important next week when we look at why Gough Whitlam was dismissed. Hmm. That was his domestic policy. There was obviously more to it than just that, but those were the highlights. His foreign policy was what was much more controversial. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. And when we saw this Whitlam government come into power... And this attorney general moving in, barging in, 
we were deeply concerned as to the sanctity of the information. So, Gough Whitlam's foreign policy. This is the controversial bit. So, at this point in history, Australia is on the back end of the Vietnam War. John Gordon has started the withdrawal. Oh, might I add as well, Gough Whitlam, basically, he set free every person who was in prison for avoiding the draft. So during the Vietnam War, mm, if you were 19, okay. you went into a draw to be called out. I to... was only 19. Wow. Hey, remember some history? Yeah, well done. <laughs> you went into a, a draw to be conscripted, and those who declined for reasons other than conscientious objection were in prison. Gough Whitlam sets them free. He also abolishes the death penalty as well, which is also important. Mm. Now, America is looking on with some concern. Like, okay, this guy's enacting what we would consider socialist policies. We're in the Cold War, so war the Soviet Union is still very much active, though it is starting to de-escalate a little bit. And they're concerned. So some people say, okay, the US is really unhappy with Whitlam because he was enacting what they thought was socialist policies. Well, the 1970s yeah. is actually the era where Richard Nixon, who's president of America at the time, is starting to make moves to aligning with Mao Zedong in China. And Mao is a huge communist, right? So Nixon is aligning with Mao to basically beat the Soviet Union. So America's disapproval of Australia can't purely be for economic reasons. It can't just be... Whitlam was enacting socialist policies because what was he doing with China? Like, making an ally out of the big communist nation other than Russia. So, what did Gough Whitlam do to really annoy America? Well, like I said, it's the back end of the Vietnam War, and basically, as America's pulling out of the Vietnam War, they start bombing North Vietnam and Cambodia. The reason for this is basically to make them come to the table in order to stop them from going and annexing South Vietnam. And so, the strategy that America's using is, let's bomb North Vietnam to basically show our strength and have them back off a little bit. Huge atrocities, huge war crimes, heaps and heaps, I don't know the exact figures, I don't think we will know the exact figures, heaps of innocent North Vietnamese that don't want anything to do with the Vietnam War have been killed in those bombings. And what it actually does is it pushes them closer to the North Vietnamese regime rather than further yeah. away because it kind of galvanizes them. So what Gough Whitlam does is Gough Whitlam actually pens an open letter to Richard Nixon condemning the bombings. And he doesn't morally object too much, though he would internally. He doesn't project that in his letter because he knows that's a risky move. What he does is he questions the strategy behind it. And he says, actually, this isn't that effective. All you're doing is basically giving them the Pearl Harbor treatment. When, we were bombed by, when you were bombed by the Japanese, what did all Americans do? Support the war. And when mm. you bomb North Vietnam that doesn't actually help your case at all and only gives them more time to continue the war and continue its effort to annex South Vietnam. So basically, he pens the open letter to Nixon and America responds very hostile. Have you ever heard of a guy called Henry Kissinger before? Rings a bell. Henry Kissinger, he kind of fluctuates between roles throughout the 70s. He's still alive today. I think he might be over 100 even. He's the National Security Advisor to Richard Nixon and then he's the Secretary of State. And he's widely considered as the puppet master behind American foreign policy in the 1970s. Kissinger basically says, we're going to freeze Gough Whitlam out of our relationship. So Gough Whitlam's kind of getting the cold shoulder or kind of oh. getting thrown at the doghouse, like the silent treatment. We're not going to talk to you. I'm not, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> and basically, it's a bit for about a six-month period, Whitlam gets no contact with America. And that is outstanding because mm. it's Australia and America. We, we are their loyal ally. We literally fought uh, the Vietnam War for no strategic purpose of our own that we tried to construe it at the time to back up America. And we're getting frozen out because Whitlam has dared criticise America bombing North Vietnam. Damn. Yeah. What about spitting the dummy? Yeah, exactly. And so basically, he's completely frozen out. 
what Whitlam also did is Whitlam actually expanded Australia's presence in Asia at the time. So Australia and China, and this point, at that point in global history, up until Whitlam, were not on good terms. Because part of the Cold War, we were like, America doesn't like China, so we don't like China. But that was pretty much the long gist of it. When Whitlam, not when he comes to power, this is actually when he's opposition leader, he makes a visit to China to chat to the Chinese Communist Party. He doesn't talk to Mao specifically, but he chats to key people in the Chinese Communist Party. And so he starts to open the door with them. And then when Nixon does it six months later, so he actually beats Nixon to opening the door with China, it looks like a really good move because he's preempted what America's done. And so Nixon has built relationships with China and he's opened the door to Asia. But what starts to happen is the Liberal Party start to criticize him for being a commie because you're mm. like, hey, you're angering America, the capitalist country, yeah. Yeah. and you're opening the door to China, the communist country. Mm. This gets significantly worse during 1973. So... Do you guys know what the Attorney General is? Oh, yeah. Supposedly more power than, than the Prime Minister, it seems. How so? Well, don't they have to they have to sign off on everything before it, before it gets enacted? Um, Are you thinking about the Governor General? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> I remember. What about the District Attorney? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, uh, the Attorney General <laughs> is the Chief Lawyer. P.Y., do you know who our State Attorney General is right now? At the moment. Yeah. Oh, your face suggesting that it's someone that I do know. Yeah. Uh, is it Costello? No. What's he doing? Peter Costello. Yeah. Uh, he's the head of channel of Nine Fairfax. So he's out of politics. Okay. Yeah. I thought he still had something else. No, it's okay. But anyway, I don't know who it is. I don't know who it is. <laughs> Mark Speakman. Mm. Speaky. Uh, yeah. I did know that. <laughs> that's, that's poor from me. So, I mean, yeah, New South Wales. Yeah. yeah. PY's met our state attorney general. Apparently he remembers your name. He called you PY when he met you. Jake. Jake. Yeah. Jake, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Nice guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No yeah. doubt. Um, so basically... Also saw him in Ingedine Marketplace while wearing a Kevin Rudd shirt. Oh, mm. how did he feel? Like, did he... It was just the kind of a nod and carry on. Uh, um, yeah. yeah. So Speakman's Liberal Party for our listeners. Mm. Last I saw him, he was on Friendly Geordies about the arrest when Christo was arrested. Yeah. He was being interrogated by, I think, Adam Searle. Yeah. So... Anyway, Attorney General, their job is they're the chief lawyer. That's why Speakman was getting interrogated during mm. the arrest of Christo. They're kind of chief lawyer. And so our Attorney General at the time was a guy called Lionel Murphy. Very close to Lionel Messi, but just <laughs> a fraction. <laughs> and so Lionel Murphy, basically what he does is he investigates ASIO and he launches a raid on ASIO. The reason why is the Yugoslavian Prime Minister was out at the time. The year before, Croat nationalists, and so remember, Croatia, this is 70s. Where's Croatia at this point in history? Couldn't tell you, mate. Yugoslavia. Well done, well done. Mm. So Croat nationalists, they did a, uh, a bombing in George Street, Sydney. And it's kind of considered as like a right-wing nationalist bombing. ASIO doesn't do much, or at least doesn't seem to do much about it. And it seems as though all their attention is on left-wing extremism, so on stopping the communist threat, and not so much on right-wing extremism. So Lionel Murphy basically is like, get your act together. We're, we're investigating you. We're also worried that you have links to the CIA. And they did. Like, that's not a conspiracy. That's ab- absolutely true. ASIO, which is our spy agency, our intelligence mm-hmm. um, agency, was exchanging information with the CIA. And that's how it kind of works. And so what Lionel Murphy does is he launches a raid on ASIO. And that really annoys the CIA. Because the CIA mm-hmm. are like, what the heck? This is compromising our intelligence. We have this commie guy who criticized Nixon before. He's now coming in and he's basically 
compromising our intelligence by raiding ASIO. And it's seen as an attack on the CIA. And they start to get really annoyed at that as well. So the Commonwealth Police, so what was now the AFP, did the raid on ASIO. One other thing really annoyed the US. You guys heard of Pine Gap? Kim, I've not heard of Pine Gap. I think people are thinking of like pine punch in his head. Yeah. So it's like, it's like variety. Four pines. <laughs> Four pines. Yeah. Chris, Chris Pine. Um, so Pine Gap, it's an American security or American surveillance base that's actually in Australia. It's not far from Alice Springs. And basically back in the 60s, America signed a lease for the security base in Australia where basically they spied on China and on like Vietnam as well. So it was used as like closer proximity to Asia so we can spy on Asia. And it's a spy basis in Australia that America had on a lease during the 60s. Mid-70s, that's coming around for renewal of the lease. And Gough Whitlam, he's, he's got very mixed messages about whether they'll get a renewed lease. So to the CIA and to America, it seems to very much suggest that there's no doubt that the lease will get renewed. However, in Parliament, we've got speeches of him saying that no foreign country should have a security base in Australia. And so America starts to get worried that, hey, this Gough Whitlam guy... He is not allowing us to have our Pine Gap security base. And so concerns really start to emerge over that. We're going to hear a great deal of hysteria and nonsense about the economy in the weeks ahead. What was totally missing from Mr Fraser's account was any mention of the most basic fact of all, that our difficulties are shared by every other Western nation. Of course unemployment and inflation are higher today than when Labor came in but they are higher in all other comparable countries. Everyone, without exception. So, P.Y., you mentioned who was Whitlam's deputy throughout the time. It was a guy called Jim Cairns. Now, basically, he'd actually challenged him for the leadership a little bit earlier, and he lost, and so he kind of took his spot as number two and never really spoke up again. He created a fair few issues for Gough Whitlam. For, for Cairns, there were two. Number one, uh, there was a woman called Junie Morosi. Now, Cairns was a married man, and there's a woman called Ginny Morosi, who he hired as his personal secretary. Mm-hmm. Ginny Morosi had no qualifications for being a secretary. I don't know what the qualifications actually would be, but mm. the Labor Party was pretty angry that this woman got the job. And rumours started to swell that Jim Cairns has hired this woman because he is going to have an affair with her or is having an affair with her and she's being hired for her looks rather than any real qualification. So the Labor Party starts to get really angry with Jim Cairns. They continually ask Gough Whitlam, Ginny Morosi, is this okay? How has this woman ended up as Jim Cairns' secretary? Whitlam's answer is, it's Jim Cairns, like Jim Cairns can do whatever he wants to do with who he hires and who he doesn't. That's Jim Cairns' responsibility. And from all accounts of Whitlam, he seemed to be a pretty hands-off sort of manager. Mm. He let people do what they wanted to do. So that was the first issue that Jim Cairns created. The second one we'll get onto in just a second. But before we do that, there was a guy... He was called Rex Connor. Oh, it's a good name. That. Yeah, Rexy. his colloquial name was the Strangler, wow. which I don't know if you really want today, but in like mm. the 70s when like politics was really bullish, like you know, <laughs> <laughs> it was an effective nickname. So Rex Connor, he was the Minister for Resources and he had a vision for having Australia pretty much nationalise its minerals and its, its mines. Now, the issue is a lot of companies already have, a lot of them American, already have huge stakes in Australia's mines. And Rex Connor's argument is, hey, these foreign companies are taking our resources and selling it for a profit. Like, we're getting robbed of our resources. America's argument is, no, we're hiring your people and creating like economic conditions in your own country. And 
helping your economy out. So Rex Connery has this vision for Labor nationalizing the mines and taking control. If you're a communist country, very easy. You say, hey, we own this mine, we own your company. Mm-hmm. Now, in Australia, that's not going to go down. So Australia has to come up with the money, or the federal government has to come up with the money to actually buy these mines and buy these companies that have stakes in these mines. Follow me so far? Mm-hmm. So why do, why wouldn't you just print off money? Mm. Well, it's inflation. The age-old <laughs> economic question, right? <laughs> <laughs> no one's ever answered it. <laughs> yeah, that's my dad. My dad said because of inflation. Some people are like, yeah, we should. Uh, mm. Quantitative easing. I, I don't really understand it. There's probably subscribers that understand it much better than me. And because we don't understand it very well, you can help us understand it by giving us $1.50 on Patreon to support <laughs> all the work we have going on here. And you can print off money for us. But... Yeah, inflation, okay? So there's this huge issue where they're already in bad inflation. If we print off money to buy this, we're creating completely unstable economic conditions. Mm-hmm. So how do you get the money? We don't just tax people heaps more money. That's going to just give the Liberal Party heaps of ammo that your commies. So they looked to get a loan from another country. Basically, it's pretty standard in geopolitics to take loans of cash from other countries, particularly in the third world where a lot of it's given as, as foreign aid. When it came to Rex Connor, he went and got connected with a guy called Tirath Kemlani. He was a Pakistani dude. Now, this is unconventional to go to an individual rather than a company or rather than a country. Kemlani claimed that he could get them in contact with a $4 billion loan. And this is the 70s. $4 billion is huge in the 70s, mm. right? Still pretty big now. Yeah, so that's... Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can help us get there by giving us a dollar <laughs> <laughs> Um... So, Kamani, he doesn't actually have the money himself, but he's got a really strong LinkedIn game, for lack of a better word. (laughs) He knows a lot of different people. Can work a room. He can work a room. Mm. His connection, Labour Party doesn't notice at the time, his connection is King Faisal of Saudi Arabia. Wow. Faisal. Now, yeah, we we, we do like Faisal. (laughs) Wow, (laughs) yeah. Favourite Faisal that's featured in movies that you've seen? Well, it's... (laughs) It's hard to look past the, the Dave Batista blockbuster. That is, that is Final Score, a film we we all hold dear to our hearts and would recommend. We're not not sponsored by Final Score, but would. But if you do want to Batista, if you want to get in touch, <laughs> yeah, where our Patreon is. Um, I've been getting a lot of Batista on my Facebook feed suggested for you. Okay, what does that like, say about you? Yeah. So well, of, yeah, I don't know. I like WWE back in the day. Hmm. So so for that Final Score, it's a movie where Batista plays. I don't know what he actually plays, like an uncle or something. Mm. And he goes to... Godfather figure. Yeah, like uh, Upton Park, which is the former stadium of, of West Ham. West Ham Soccer Stadium. Yeah, that's it. And Piers, Piers, Piers Morgan. No, not Piers no, Morgan. Piers Brosnan. Piers Brosnan. <laughs> if only Piers Morgan was there. <laughs> plays a, a, a <laughs> Russian terrorist. And Batista's plan is to take down Piers Brosnan, Russian Piers Brosnan yep. at the end of the soccer game. Fantastic movie. Best supporting act goes to Faisal. But anyway, King Faisal of Saudi Arabia. <laughs> he gets killed. Completely unrelated to the loans affair. So King mm. Faisal of Saudi Arabia. Wow, is that as in like an assassination? Yeah, assassinated like, by oh his, God. I think, either brother-in-law or brother? or so, Someone from his family assassinates him. My Saudi Arabian history isn't that great. Mm. But Faisal's gone and they've lost the loan. So $4 billion loan is now off the table because Faisal's gone and the money's gone. Now, basically, the issue here, there's no issue in getting a loan from an individual. It's unconventional, but it's not illegal. What has to happen when you get a loan, though, is you've got to go through the Loans Council. And in Parliament, 
um, lying to Parliament is usually considered a sackable offence. Unfortunately, Jim Cairns, who was the treasurer and deputy at the time, and Rex Connor, so it's kind of both of their portfolios overlapping here, both of them mislead the Parliament and don't go to the Loans Council. And mm-hmm. so that's a bit of an issue. So firstly, Jim Cairns misleads Parliament and Whitlam sacks. He's like, you're gone, you're fired. And Jim Cairns is gone as number two. And so Whitlam goes to Rex Connor and he's like, stop this loan. Well, according to Whitlam, go stop this loan now. Mm-hmm. Loan's off. Like, it's done. It's a PR disaster. Just stop it. Rex Connor doesn't. Oh, Rex. And he says to Parliament that he does. But he doesn't actually stop trying to get the loan. The issue is Whitlam's gone to Parliament and he said the loan's off. So when news comes out that Rex Connor still tried to get the loan, Whitlam's stuck in a rock and a hard place. Either he has knowingly lied to Parliament or he doesn't know what his cabinet's up to mm-hmm. and he has no control of the cabinet. So is is Rex Connor, not to be confused with Rex Hunt, is he now second in charge? No. So Rex Connor, okay. he was, to, was retained as Minister for Resources yeah. and he gets the sack. So he's, he's gone. Because he lied. Yeah, because he lied. Yeah. Rex Connor... He says no. So so Whitlam sent John Menadue, the guy that I mentioned before, his chief of staff, to go sack Rex Connor. According to Menadue, Rex Connor just said no. It's kind of like when a girl breaks up I with won't you leave. and you're like... <laughs> I don't consent to being broken up with. <laughs> eventually, eventually, he made his walk. PR disaster for Whitlam. We're going to come back to that. So, Whitlam's first term was in 1972. 1974, he actually triggers what's called a double dissolution. It's when both houses of parliament are dissolved. That happens when a bill is denied twice by the Senate. And so Whitlam's hoping that he can get more Labour people in the Senate so that the upper house can pass what the lower house wants. Unfortunately for Whitlam, it's a bit of a disaster. The Senate is split even. So it's two independents and then 29 each for Labour and Liberal. So gridlock parliament and theoretically, Liberals might be able, if they can get the independents on side, might be able to stop Labour getting their laws passed. Gets worse there. So, when someone from the lower house, so let's just say, I don't know, take Scott Morrison, for example. If Scott Morrison were to resign today, do you guys know what would happen? I do not. Would there... Someone would have to be appointed as our local member. And how do they get appointed? A vote. Yes, so it's called a by-election. Yeah. So a by-election is when just the electorate votes for the person to take over. Mm. In the Senate, it's a bit more difficult because the Senate's not represented locally, it's represented by state. So each state gets a certain number of senators. That's why Pauline Hanson can actually get numbers to be in the Senate because you don't need to win an electorate. You just need to be the seventh highest ranking Queenslander or whatever to get in the Senate. So firstly, Lionel Murphy, who we mentioned before, good old Lionel, he resigns and he's a senator. And so we need to replace Lionel Murphy. Who gets to replace him? It's not the public. It's actually the premier of the state. And the Premier of New South Wales, where Murphy was from, was the Liberal Premier called Bob Askin. Now, it was convention to replace the person leaving with someone from the same party. Bob Askin puts an independent in. Another, and I don't know the name of this second senator, another senator actually died in office. And he was a Queensland senator. Mm. And Queensland at the time is run by a guy called Joe Bioki-Peterson. Might not have ever heard of him. Really important premier. We're going to do a future episode. Joe Bioki. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's um Danish. Oh, cool. So J-O-H-B-J-E-K-E. Interesting. Um, yeah. Mm. So Joe Bioki-Peterson, he's actually from the country party, what's now called the Nationals. 
So imagine John Barillaro being Premier of New South Wales. That's kind of, that was the situation in Queensland. Yep. Mm-hmm. So Joby Oki Peterson hates Gough Whitlam. And he's basically run on, we run Queensland and we do not follow what that socialist says. Okay. We have control of Queensland. If Gough Whitlam wants to control Queensland's Aboriginal policy, we're going to say no. We have the right to control our Aboriginal policy. And so what Bjorki Peterson does is he appoints someone who was a Labor Party member, but not someone approved by the Labor Party, if that makes sense. So I can be a Labor Party member if I sign up at my Labor branch. That doesn't mean the Labor Party is going to want me running mm. at a future election. So that's basically what it was. And so what happens is they appoint someone who has got Labor credentials, but actually hates Gough Whitlam. And so now we have a situation where two Labor senators are gone and an independent and an anti-Whitlam Labor guy are in. So what does this mean? Well, it means Malcolm Fraser, who's the Liberal Party leader at the time, he has the numbers to block whatever bill Whitlam wants to pass because he's got the numbers in the Senate. So it's a really terrible situation where Whitlam's got the lower house and Fraser's got the upper house. If you're Malcolm Fraser, what do you do in that situation? What do you reckon is the best PR move? Well, you would kind of make it known that Whitlam's not really in control, even though he's meant to be the Prime Minister. Good theory. Hmm. I like it. Hmm. He doesn't do that, though. Okay. Well, do you just... That's what I would do. (laughs) (laughs) You can help us out by voting Jake in our next next by-elections. Well, do you just block everything and then blame it on Whitlam for not getting things done? You would think, but he doesn't do that either. Wow. Fraser goes, we're going to let everything go through because it looks really good for Fraser. Fraser looks like he actually has Australia's best interests. And he was like, the lower house has the right to govern. And so he lets everything through with one exception. He's like, when something reprehensible happens, we're going to stop it. And so every little thing that happens, so the Jim Cairns, Junie Morosi affair, they go to Fraser and like, is this the reprehensible circumstance you're looking for? And Fraser goes, no. And so they keep asking Fraser, is this the reprehensible thing? What ends up being the reprehensible thing is the Kemlani loans affair that I mentioned before. And so, interestingly, Kemlani comes out to Australia. Pakistani dude comes out to Australia Mm. claiming that Whitlam knew it was happening all along. And he's like, I can prove that Gulf Whitlam knew that it was happening even after he said to Parliament that it wasn't. And so the Liberal Party, they are like, sweet, we want this guy to come out. We want this guy to talk. This is great PR for us. And they task one of the younger Liberal Party members with interrogating... Kemlani. I have a guess who that Liberal Party member was. Wow, is it someone we would know? It is someone mm-hmm. you would know. John Howard. John Howard is oh, correct. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so he's he's an emerging member in the Liberal Party in the, in the 1970s, and Howard, he can't get Kemlani to prove it. He tries everything he could, and Kemlani, all he can go to is, no, Whitlam knew all along, but he can't prove it. So just quickly, why, why does Kemlani not like Whitlam at this point? Why does he want to out Whitlam in this way? So he's a bit of a... Tr- he, the the impression that we're getting is that he's a bit of a troublemaker. Okay. So he probably <laughs> could get access to the loans all, all along, but the Labor Party was really angry with him when the loan fell through. And he felt a little bit burnt by the Labor Party sure. in that respect. Yes, yes and of course. And he had a reputation for being pretty petulant. And so basically, they can't get the proof that they need, but Fraser says, that's enough and we're going to stop supply. So supply is basically the treasury bill, the budget, for lack of a better word, the kind of laws to legislate the amount of money that they're going to spend. And so Fraser, at the end of 1975, says, that's it, you are not getting supply. And so Australia's got a bit of a constitutional crisis. The lower house can't do what it wants to do. 
The upper house is blocking them. Gough Whitlam is effectively a powerless prime minister. And that's where we're going to pick it up next week as we see the constitutional crisis be resolved. So did Whitlam know about the loan, that process continuing to happen, even though he said he didn't know? Because you, you made me, you led us to believe that he actually didn't know. I believe he didn't. Okay. Because Kemlani couldn't prove it. Okay, so and he couldn't prove it. If Kemlani yeah. had the proof, I think he would have been able to. Yeah. But there will be some who still, who would take Kemlani's side of things. But he came over... Yeah. To give proof. Yeah. Even though he didn't have... It kind of like... And he liked the publicity as well. Like, he okay. got, like... Yeah. It probably helped him with connections, considering he's, like, a connections-based financer. Mm. He seemed to really revel in the limelight. Okay. Um, so, next mm-hmm. week, we're looking at the Whitlam dismissal. What does the Governor-General, not the Attorney-General, John Kerr do? Okay, that's enough. Thanks. And <laughs> how is the CIA and the Crown involved in the Whitlam dismissal? The Governor-General takes the advice from his Prime Minister... And from no one else. And must act on that advice? Unquestionably, the Governor-General must act on the advice of his Prime Minister. There is no tolerance here. He must None do... None whatever. As we shamelessly plugged, you can get all sorts of bonuses, such as having a say in podcast topics and indeed video topics for the main channel, plus more for just $1.50 a month. If you're short on cash, you can easily help us for free by leaving us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your pods. On Spotify, you can see the number of reviewers next to each star rating, and the higher that number is, the easier people can find the podcast. Next week, we're looking at the role that the CIA, Queen Elizabeth, and Prince Charles played in Whitlam's firing. More importantly, Ben also tells us about his thrilling campaign for primary school captain, and how one candidate in the race could very realistically be a future Prime Minister of Australia. No cap.